0: This is Matt. And this is Tony. And this is What Did We Miss? The podcast where we explore our pop culture blind spots one episode at a time. How's it
1: going, Matt? It's going. So, I I got a question for you. Okay. What is your experience with computer games? Oh. Hmm. Uh,
0: I think I I was a dabbler. Yeah? I think because my dad was... You know he's particular about certain things. It's really strange, and it doesn't seem like there's much reason to it. But I think, looking back on it, it seems like if he could if he could connect with something, like if he liked it, or if it made sense, then I could probably play it. Um, which explains why, like, I played Leisure Suit Larry.
1: <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah.
0: Strange computer game. If if you're listening and you're not familiar with it, it was kind of a a game where about this character named Larry who's just trying to to get laid.
1: Now, my understanding is that Leisure Suit Larry was a point and click adventure game, right?
0: Yeah, it was. So yeah. you have like a little guy, and you click where you want to go, and blah blah blah. You have an
1: inventory, and you have to talk to people. Yeah, and, and
0: it was censored, but like you
1: knew what it was. Now, did you? I was aware of the reputation of Leisure Suit Larry. Did you mm-hmm. ever play any other point and click adventure games? Uh, Space Quest. Okay. Yep. I remember.
0: Uh, my uncle had a Star Trek
1: game. Okay.
0: And I don't remember the specifics of it, but it was a a computer game. But I kind of missed out on some of the bigger ones, like, was it Zork? Mm-hmm. I think my dad had that, and I just got frustrated with it really quickly. I never played Myst, uh, which is un- another point and click, correct? Uh,
1: kind of. That was, f- you know, first-person perspective. but But... Sure. Um, you know you move statically from one room to the next. Mm-hmm. The big thing with Mist is once you beat it, you know that you can beat the game in the very first room where you start. Oh. So a friend yeah. of mine was like, "Hey, you ever play Mist? It's really cool. I'm going to show you how I can beat it in 5 minutes." And then <laughs> I was like, "I'm never going to play Mist now." Yeah, that's a bummer. Um, I love point and click adventure games. So you missed out on like the LucasArts games. I'm you know, I Listen,
0: name some games because there are, it's, it's, there's a possibility that if I didn't play it directly, I played it or watched friends play it.
1: Uh, the Secret of Monkey Island.
0: Definitely not.
1: Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. You know,
0: that sounds familiar. So maybe if my friend had that, but I don't think I ever played it. Sam and
1: Max Hit the Road.
0: Definitely not.
1: Day of the Tentacle. No. Full Throttle
0: definitely not. No, so I uh, guess man. I didn't this I I missed all those. things. Those
1: are great. They were um you know, very story driven, mm-hmm. um made by LucasArts, which was George Lucas's computer game company. Okay. They also made um they made X-Wing and they made Tie Fighter, oh, which yeah. were uh, these very immersive sp- Star Wars space simulators. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, you know what I did play? Uh Wing Commander. Okay. Yeah, I remember liking those. And those were kind of like another cockpit kind of view, kind yes. of space game. Mark
1: Hamill was in one of those. Oh yeah,
0: because they had like those cut scenes. Yeah, that uh, was pretty famous for, at one point had real actors, right?
1: Mm-hmm. FMV, full motion video, those yeah. games were famously bad. <laughs> <laughs> they were? Uh, I mean, a lot of them, a lo- sure. or a lot of the games that took advantage of like, ooh, CDs are a thing now. Everyone's got CD-ROM mm-hmm. drives. We'll, we'll put real actors into the games. Most of the time, those real actors were bad actors. Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally, you'd get something like um, like a Christopher Lloyd showing up in Toonstruck, which was another point-and-click adventure game where he gets sucked into his cartoons. Um, yeah, uh, a lot of the full motion video games were kind of cheesy. I think we played Lemmings. Okay. I think that was a favorite in the family, because you're like, oh, look at them all die. <laughs> so,
0: have you ever played Doom? You know, I I tried to it seemed so familiar to me. And I tried to to pinpoint exactly if I had played it or if I had friends that had played it. So I reached out to some people. Um and every one of them was just like, oh, the Nazi game. And I was like, no, that's that's Wolfenstein. I
1: asked my brother, oh yeah,
0: the Nazi game. No, that's Wolfenstein. I asked Nate, oh, yeah, the Nazi game. No, that's Wolfenstein.
1: So you thought Doom was the Nazi game.
0: I did. I, I I think when you brought up the potential for doing an episode on Doom, I was like, oh, the Nazi game.
1: No, that's Wolfenstein. That's Wolfenstein.
0: Wolfenstein 3D. Yes. Well, they're, they're all, the well, all the Wolfenstein games were. Yeah. So I think I may have played Wolfenstein mm-hmm. and I, I think I missed out on Doom. So yeah, today we're talking about Doom. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Last fall, you acquired a Switch. Uh yeah. Fallish. Sure. And uh Doom was released for the Switch. Yes. The original version. Mm-hmm. Or at least a, po- a port of it. A port of it. And you were like, oh have you ever played Doom? And we had this conversation that I won't rehash because we just talked about it a few seconds ago and you're like we, "We, you gotta play Doom, you gotta play Doom and it became this thing where you were just like Doom, Doom and it seemed like you were so excited about this game and so passionate about it so finally I think I was just like oh I downloaded Doom and we we're like oh we're doing an episode on Doom
1: and it became this thing so why, why do you love Doom so much? You know it's just as fun to play now as it was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so my my memory of playing Doom as a kid, um, Doom was released in a very interesting way. It was released initially via shareware. It was so, free? Yeah. Uh, and everybody had the shareware version of Doom, which was the first episode or... Each episode is a block of, like, eight or nine levels. And we played that shareware version to death uh, and eventually got um, the full version that had all three original episodes and a, a new one. And there was one summer in particular where it was just all we did. What I realized and why I got excited that you hadn't played it is because I don't think I ever played it without cheating. So whenever we played it, we would put on... God mode. We would give ourselves all the weapons and keys. That existed from the beginning. Yeah, that was in there. I-D-D-Q-D. Okay. Type that in. Um, your little guy, the little guy in the middle of your heads up display, his eyes start glowing. Type in IDKFA, you get all the keys, firearms, and armor. I mean, there are even codes to clip through the walls. So you didn't even need all the keys. You could just walk through stuff. Um, why? Why is that fun? Because blasting monsters was always fun. <laughs> okay. It didn't. It didn't really matter. Um, yeah. So, so for me, I was excited because I realized, oh, this is an opportunity to play through it and actually play it, and not just cheat. But then it got me thinking. Well, cheating through it was also still really fun. There is a some. There's something about it uh, in a fundamental way that. Mario jumping is very satisfying, and if you play another platformer game, characters don't jump like Mario. Even so, like even a Sonic the Hedgehog. Like playing that now, it's like, oh, I don't like jumping in this game. Nintendo nailed it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So ID Software really like nailed what made that type of gameplay addicting. It's fast, it's fun, it's over the top. So. That makes sense to me looking back why me and a handful of friends spent a whole summer just like huddled over a keyboard playing this game and never got bored of it, even though we, were, <laughs> we weren't we were actually like accomplishing anything, you know, and there would be secrets you could find that you know, by clipping through the walls you see stuff that normally you'd have to figure out how to get there, but instead so you just get it and like, oh, we got that thing, and yeah, it was just a lot of fun. And I guess
0: it's like playing Contra where you give
1: yourselves the, uh... Oh, yeah. The Contra code? Yeah. hmm Would yeah. that give you unlimited lives? I don't remember. If not unlimited, then a, a whole bunch. Yeah. But, you know, there are other things, too. Like, there were, there was a whole world of mods. And actually, id Software released uh, an official, like, retail release of these mod levels of Doom that were user-created. There was a, <laughs> there was a Monty Python Doom <laughs> where, like... Uh, you know, it, it, certain actions would trigger sound clips from Flying Circus and from the movies. Um, there's a Simpsons mod. There's a Beavis and Butthead mod. Because any user could go in and do their own thing with this mm-hmm. and add and change it, at least to the freeware version, right? No, to all of it. So the backstory with Doom, uh, there, there are two really big personalities involved in Doom and with id Software, uh, John Carmack and John Romero. Uh, Both of them had worked together uh, before making games together, but uh, even before that, what got them into computer gaming and then into careers in computers, they were hackers, for lack of a better word. And the early days of PC games was very much the Wild West. There was a lot of people creating their own games, modifying games that already existed, sending their code to computer magazines and then people would have to type in that code to put the game on their machine. This is all like pre-internet kind of stuff. So for them this sort of hacker ideology of being able to go in and tinker something that you think is cool in a way to make it cooler has kind of caked into id software from the beginning to the point where even now I mean Doom came out in 1993 there is still a very large active mod community making new levels. For the original. For the original um, On the PC. Mm-hmm. I'm going to name four gadgets and you tell me which one is not able to play Doom. Okay? Okay. So a digital camera from the late 90s. Okay. An ATM machine. <laughs> okay. Uh, a McDonald's cash register and a toaster. Which one of those cannot play Doom? Um, The toaster? No. All four of them can play Doom. Hi, what? Wait. What? It's something like the toaster is probably inputs but I mean, the the Doom community, Uh there's no gadget they can't play this game on. It's gotten to the point now because that tinkering is so cooked into the culture around it Mm -hmm. that it's just like, you know, fuck it. Sure. Just because we can.
0: So how much of that tinkering made it into the Switch version that you and I played for this episode? A
1: little bit. Okay. Um, There was a recent uh, update that allowed some curated mods to be downloaded and played um so there are two campaigns that were added that made up what was called final doom which was essentially like a not you know quote unquote doom 3 before they actually made doom 3 there's also a, a fifth episode called sigil that was made by uh john romero who is one of the creators of doom uh he made that last year for the 25th anniversary the version on switch doesn't have this but um or in full effect but uh Buckethead did all the music for it, and <laughs> okay. I, I think there was there was a version that had like actual Buckethead like shredding guitar licks. The version on Switch just has sort of the you know the classic Doom MIDI versions mm-hmm. of that.
0: So again, I think we need to backtrack. Yes, backtrack I got just a little bit. Mm-hmm. You're getting really excited. I'm getting very excited. It's okay. It's okay. You're al- you're allowed to be excited on the show. Now, for anyone listening, what the fuck is a Doom? You're essentially playing as a Marine and you're fighting monsters from hell. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the original first-person shooter games?
1: Yeah, I mean... Now,
0: Wolfenstein 3D came out the year before.
1: Yes. Okay. What Doom did is... What
0: separated this from Wolfenstein?
1: uh, Some technology stuff. Okay. uh, Some graphics. So what Doom ended up doing was really popularizing first-person shooters to the point where... Uh, that term wasn't as widely used until a number of years after. In the meantime, other first-person shooters were just called Doom clones. Ah, why not Wolfenstein? Because it didn't catch on like this. Sure. I mean... And it's really not as easy to say. Doom was banned by a number of large corporations because of its direct impact on workplace productivity. <laughs> um, okay. The Microsoft campus barred its employees from playing it during work hours... Doom was fast. At the time, it sort of tricked you into thinking you were in a 3D world. But they were doing weird things with lighting and with textures. Uh, Really, id Software was the driving force behind a lot of computer gaming technology for a number of years. They were outsourcing out their engines. Uh, For a while, the the Quake engine was kind of the standard. Um, And then you'd have things like the Unreal Engine, which came up from another developer. But... Uh, Carmack, who was the other John, the two Johns, or the the big creative forces behind Doom, was a problem solver. And he was very much an engineer. And he was always, this is what we want to do in a game, but it doesn't exist yet. So how do I make that exist? And he would solve a problem, and then he was always looking at the next thing. More realistic lighting, actual 3D environments. You can't look up or down in Doom. You know, if you shoot something that's up above you, it's because you have to be pointing right at it and it just, you know, knows that you're, oh, it, you're pointing at that guy up there. Yeah. In modern modern shooters, you have to actually look you at have that to guy. Aim. Yeah.
0: That's something when starting to play, I was just like, oh, yeah, this is older and I can't look up and down. And so uh, it took a, a, a little while to get used to that, but then you don't miss it. No. Because again, like as you said, If there's something above you that's coming down towards you, it kind of knows instinctively. And it actually, I thought that was sort of refreshing because like I I feel sometimes that modern games um, overcomplicate themselves a bit. And the simplicity of this um, was was made it pretty, like as you said, really quick and kind of fun and and,
1: and fast paced. I mean, there's no illusion of realism. That's a lot of, that's a big thing in modern games. Stuff like. If you want to talk about other first person shooters, things like Call of Duty, you know, Destiny, uh, you know, there is a real sort of weight and the environments feel real and blah, blah, blah. There's a big, important story. None of that was in Doom because none of it mattered. I mean, a lot of it was technological stuff. Initially, when they were developing, they had wanted to take the next step up from Wolfenstein. So we're not going to have levels with a beginning and an end. We want to make it a big, open, interconnected world. They weren't quite there yet. A lot of first-person shooters ended up there, but '93 it wasn't doable. And you know the the environment is in that first episode. You're on a uh, a military installation on one of the moons of Mars, but they're all all the levels are just these bizarre Salvador Dali sort of twisting mazes. I mean, none of it makes sense. And, no, when you but-
0: look at when you get a, a as you progress, the map kind of fills in, mm-hmm. and when you Fill in the whole map. You're just like, what? what's the point of any yeah. of this?
1: None of the logistics match up, but none of that was ever really at top of mind. John Romero was always like, I just want to make a game that's fucking cool. Yeah. He became one of gaming's sort of uh, first rock star creators, for better or worse. He was very uh, uh, he was very in-your-face kind of guy. Became it was a-
0: the 90s. It was extreme.
1: And this dude was like super extreme. Big X. You know what I mean. Later, he became famous for uh, when he left ID. He was he was the brains behind this game that was famously in development hell for a long time, called Day Katana. And the the ad that ran in gaming magazines was just like all red and said, "John Romero is going to make you his bitch." <laughs> uh, he sort of like you know he was uh, an early proponent of uh, you know smack talk in online gaming. Uh, oh, so it's his so fault. Th- <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. Um, I mean, one way to describe Doom is that it's like playing through a metal cover. You know, it's equal parts Aliens and Evil Dead 2. It's it's very gory and very intense and violent, but um, it's also fucking absurd. You know, I, yeah. I remember one of the highlights of being, you know, 12 and just playing Doom all the time is, oh, there's a the new monster. Let's see how that creature's guts fall out of its stomach when we kill it. <laughs> and it was always funny. There was nothing remotely real or dangerous feeling about it. It always it always felt like, uh, it was like Ren and Stimpy. It was gross, but that was the point. There's also like
0: so much texture to, to the environments. So you could turn a corner and there's like all these dolly-esque kind of bodies that are like pinned up to the wall, which like with like maybe they're their chest split open and their innards kind of just hanging out and like these weird like walls of just cascading blood.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean there's one texture in some of the hell levels that was they photographed one of the programmers had a big gash on his knee. And they just photographed it and put it in. Yeah. There's a lot of fun behind the scenes stuff. Like you probably noticed like the the imps, those are those brown demons. And then there's the, the soldier zombies. So the imps are the ones that they throw fireballs mm-hmm. at you. And then the, the soldier guys just have shotguns or yeah. rifles. And they look a little different from some of the bigger ones, like the boss at the end of the first episode, which is the the Baron of Hell, um, the big, like, goat guy. He's, like, pink oh, up top. Yep, yep. Or the cyber demon, which is the the boss at the end of the second episode, who's mm-hmm. a big goat guy with the rocket launcher. <laughs> yeah. And then the spider demon, they, they actually built models of those and photographed it with a video camera. So those those models look a little different. They almost look like stop motion in the game in a way.
0: This also feels like it borrows a lot from H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, sure. There's an element. Uh, there's like some creatures in this that look like something out of, uh, you know, mid-80s John Carpenter movies. Yeah, or Hellraiser, you know, yeah. that sort of
1: blending of, of like grotesque fantasy with sci-fi elements to it. Yeah. I
0: was also sort of like, cause this feels like the precursor to what Resident Evil would later do. There are elements of this that are like as crude as some of it is because it is older. There are still moments where like you'll turn a corner and the lights are flashing and it's just like a long corridor and you turn on your map and the map is like expansive and you realize that the section you're about to enter which you don't know all the nooks and crannies of, it's going to be all lit this way. Mm-hmm. And then you turn a corner and it's just darkness and the light flashes on and there's a creature right in front of you. And it's and it's like, ah, it's jarring. It's freaky.
1: Sure. Or, or when you can still hear like that scratching and that growling, but you, yeah. you don't know where it's coming from. And odds are there's like maybe one guy you've missed or you're going to find a switch and you're going to flip that switch. And as soon as you do, you're going to hear a door open and you know when you turn around there's just going to be a wall of, Dudes, just running at you. Yeah, horde of monsters. It's so fun.
0: Yeah, and it is kind of fun. Like I think the the mechanics of the weapons are, are simple. Mm-hmm. So it's really like you pick your weapon of choice, and then you try and, and and mow them
1: down as quickly as you possibly can. Sure, but you know the risk there is that you're going to burn through all your ammo, and mm-hmm. you know that that resource economy becomes real after you sort of get over the initial uh, thrill of just blasting your way through guys, suddenly there's more of them than there are bullets in your inventory.
0: I typically stuck with the shotgun because I felt that that was almost, it was succinct. It was powerful, impactful. Uh, it didn't require a lot of shots to take down a lot of the, the main bad guys. I didn't run out of bullets as quickly as I would on on maybe like the, the machine gun or something oh, like sure. that. Oh, sure. Yeah. But every once in a while, you'd have to pull out something else Something else out, like the big, was it the big fucking gun? Is yeah, that what it's called, the, the BFG?
1: The BFG 9000.
0: No relation to the BFG, the big friendly giant. Nope. I think I used that for the final, the spider demon only took like two shots mm-hmm. with the BFG. And it was funny because I had gotten to the last level and I had every weapon uh, and I only had like 25% health. And that was when I was like, oh, fuck. So do I die and have a hundred percent health and then try and collect the weapons that are here right in front of this final boss or do I try and use the weapons that I have which I have a lot of with 25% health. So um, it took me a few tries uh, but I finally,
1: I finally killed that fucking spider demon. Before we get into some specific details, what were your general impressions? I mean, I gather from what you've said that you seem to have had a fun time with it, but um, what were your expectations going in and how did you find that lined up with what you were actually presented with when you got there?
0: I don't know if I had any expectations going in. I know you were so excited about it, like possibly more excited than anything else we've talked about on the show. And so uh, to me, that was infectious. So that kind of in turn... Uh, made me excited to play the game because I was like, oh well, if he likes it this much, then I'm I want to I want to give that the weight that I think it deserves. I don't want to just be like, oh, whatever, dude, you know, because I know that it's really heartbreaking to be passionate about something and love something and then show it to someone and like love it like I love it And then you're just like, ah, oh, whatever. Uh, so I wanted to like, you know, I took that sort of uh, seriously sure that charge uh and so when i started i was just kind of like yeah okay you know i've seen this i've i i get this cuz it's it's not much to get it's pretty simple uh by design um and then you know i play a little bit i'm like yeah okay this is fun i'm enjoying this but i think upon you know i wanted to not Like I could have easily have played like a level or two and come in here and been like, yeah, okay, I played the game. So I wanted to give it a fair shake. Uh, And then when, as I was playing it, the more I played it, the more I was just like, okay, yeah, I'm really enjoying this. And then it got to a point where it's just like, I was looking forward to like, oh, I'm going to play this. I try to like schedule my video game time Mm -hmm. between all the other things that I'm watching or listening to. Uh, And for me, a, a great video game, a great opportunity for me to play video games is when Meg is watching The Bachelor. Okay. And we're now into Bachelor season; we're several episodes in. So when, and that's a show that's like two hours long, and so that's always my Doom time. And so it became this thing of like, oh, I get, to, I'm gonna play Doom. I'm gonna play Doom soon. And then I started playing it more frequently, which is when you know that I'm enjoying a game because I'm playing it outside of The Bachelor. Sure. It's not that it's easy, but it's not a game that's like. Gets so bogged down and being difficult, where it becomes tedious for me, and that's has nothing to do with video games in general, but that's my personal preference. And anytime I met with a game where it's just like becomes an impossibility, I generally just give up and not play.
1: Yeah, there's no real um, difficulty spike in this. It it really kind of ramps up pretty nicely.
0: Yeah, and I felt and like you can obviously choose like your difficulty setting. Do you know the the specific, the way they word them? Hurt Me Plenty, I think, is the middle one.
1: Then it's ultra violence, Nightmare.
0: Okay, so um, the different uh, difficulty levels are I'm Too Young to Die, Hey, Not Too Rough, Hurt Me Plenty, Ultraviolence, and Nightmare. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm a chicken shit. Uh, I'm not the greatest at video games in general, so I stuck with Hey, Not Too Rough, uh, which was still presented me with enough challenge where I found it was rewarding, where I wasn't like cursing all the time. Um, And that coupled with the exploration of the game where you kind of turn in corners and trying to figure out where the keys are, uh, which also wasn't too complex, but was interesting enough. Mm -hmm. The levels were big enough, but not too big without feeling like like a burden. So yeah, I I really took to it after a while and to a point where it's just like, yeah, this is, I I wanted to keep playing.
1: Yeah, there's some really ingenious design elements. Uh, Like very early on, you would be able to see items and power-ups that were not obviously accessible. And then you're like, oh, well, if it's there, it means I can get it. And if I can get it, it means I have to be able to make my way to that point. So that's when, you know, there are secret passages that blend in with the walls. You have to start to train yourself for. Oh, that texture doesn't quite line up. Or, you know, maybe I'm hearing those monsters somewhere. That means there must be another way in or out of this room. There are levels you could bypass entirely unless you find a secret exit. Uh, there was one in particular that you got stuck at, where it drops you in in the middle of this big star shaped room, and you're surrounded by four uh, Barons of Hell, which are the boss monster from the end of the first episode. And there's another room full of uh, what are called cacodemons, which are like these weird like flying tomato-looking cyclops things. And you are stuck, and, and my, my coaching tip was to lure the two types of creatures together and they would just kill the, kill one another, which is also a really fun mechanic when you are playing that first time and you realize, oh, they're not shooting at me. They're shooting at each other. And if I just don't remind them that I'm here... They'll do a lot of the legwork for me.
0: It was really funny because I got to this level. I tried it a few times and I was like, fuck, these guys are just so difficult. And I thought I had got to the breaking point. And, and for me, obviously, that breaking point is probably, is maybe a little sooner than other people. Uh, again, and it's mostly just a timing thing for me. Like I don't like, spending too, too much time playing video games. So if a game gives me an obstacle that's too tough, it's like, all right, onto another game or on to something else. So um, I had had texted you my frustrations with this level and you're like, oh, this is, try this. Uh, and so I was like, all right, I'll see you. I'll, I'll try doing that. So I ran into the adjoining room, ran around in a circle till everyone was following me. The other monsters came in, they started fighting each other there's two monsters left. I took them out. It was like almost effortless, uh, which was I thought was was great because it showed that if you, you know, and obviously I didn't put in that work, but if you thought about it, if you thought through instead of just going in with guns a blazing, which mm-hmm. ostensibly seems like the purpose of the game, if you put a little thought into it, it was pretty effortless. Same thing with the spider demon in the last level. Where again, I had 25% health and I was trying like rocket launchers and all these other things. I was just like, well, maybe the BFG will do it. So I kind of lured the other guys around, took them out without taking any damage, without having the spider demon see me. And then I kind of crept up behind him, took two shots, and then he was dead. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, oh, okay, that wasn't that hard. So sometimes it's about problem solving, but it's not like one of those complex puzzle games either. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what was fun about It's like it, it was accessible. It wasn't too difficult. It could be difficult if that's the type of game you like. Um, and it, it was uh, it's endlessly inventive with a few ingredients. Uh, and I value games like that. Because as you stated earlier, like with games like Call of Duty and stuff like that, like those don't really appeal to me. I don't like the realism thing. Mostly because they're not at all real, right? And I'd prefer a game to have a sense of design than to try and go for this weird sort of otherworldly realism, you know? Sure. One, uh, because those mo- those games always feel impersonal to me. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that was sort of a a divide that presented itself between the, the the factions at ID Software was the engine versus design, and John Romero was a design guy. The design is king. That was sort of his mantra with games. It has to be the coolest fucking game. And Carmack was very much about advancing the technology so that they could do the next cool thing. And it got to a point where Carmack seemed more interested in developing around a new technology as opposed to making the technology serve a cool environment or a cool monster or that kind of thing. And, you know, and I think... There was a Doom Three that came out in 2003 or four, and consensus is it's a good game, but it's not a good Doom game. Uh, it, it it seems like it tried to be too much like other contemporary first-person shooters, and it, it was slower, it was darker, um, a little too a little too self-serious maybe. And then in 2016, uh, they kind of relaunched Doom. Uh, and with you know all the technical prowess of modern PCs and consoles behind it, made something that's fast, that's brutal, very much in the spirit of the original Doom. Have you played that one? I have, yeah. And do you like it? It's great. Yeah. And there's a new one coming out um on March 20th. And I think it comes out on Switch later in the year. But have you seen any so of this episode? Will be out by then.
0: Yes, I believe yeah. so.
1: So have you seen any of the footage from these newer Doom games? Um, Not yet, because I kind of wanted, after playing this
0: and really uh, enjoying it, I was like, oh, I think I want to play the new one. So I wanted to kind of keep it a bit of a surprise. So I haven't really sought anything out. Really?
1: Yeah. Should I? I'm kind of interested to see what your reaction to it it is. Yeah. I want to get your sense of how you think what you played is represented in this new game.
0: Okay. So it's it took the violence of the original and just like magnified it mm-hmm. times a hundred. Yeah, because it'll you'll it's almost lo- looks like Mortal Kombat from first person's perspective. Yeah, there, where you're there, going for the kill.
1: Yeah, there is an element. Uh, it's almost like fatalities in Mortal Kombat. Yeah, you're right. Uh, th- there is a little more story in so Doom 2016, and then in this one as well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's really not. There's no story in yeah, the Yeah no. Scientists do a uh, a thing they shouldn't have on Mars, open mm-hmm. a gate to hell, you fight your way through hell, get back to Earth. Yeah. Doom two is Doom Two Hell on Earth. Um these play into that mythology that you are uh the Doom Slayer. Um, you fight your way through hell. Uh it looks like heaven is uh is, you know, involved in Doom Eternal. So <laughs> I'm hoping you get to like punch out some angels or something. Yeah, I'd like to kick God in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> like, take that, God. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, what?
0: Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I really, I don't, I don't know. I think I'd have to play to see if I liked it. Sure. It looks very slick. I think if this was brand new now, I don't know if I would gravitate towards it. Um, but again, like, I, I like all the Resident Evil games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and those uh, kind of have a similar, at least its approach to the visuals like it's not real real but it's still you know in this weird in-between world kind of thing obviously this is a lot more gruesome than, sure. and, and Resident Evil is pretty gruesome on its own
1: yeah I mean I think the overlap there is that especially in the first two Resident Evil games um, you know the mansion in the first one the police station in the second one don't really subscribe to any sense of realism in terms of how a yeah. mansion or Police station would operate. Uh, sure, no or metropolitan police force has uh, an elaborate series of statues and uh, gem encrusted keys to get through the building. I mean, my building has that. Uh, well,
0: um, and also, like, how how do you fit all those things on your in your backpack and yeah, yeah. your satchel? Doesn't matter. Um, yeah, exactly. Who cares? But I think the big difference between something like this and like Doom and Resident Evil is Resident Evil really relishes those quiet moments before
1: Mm -hmm. the chaos.
0: Doom is a little more chaos, chaos, chaos. Okay, I'm gonna walk around the corner, chaos, chaos, chaos.
1: Yeah, and Resident Evil got away from that. Five and six are both pretty hectic and chaotic and not great. They're more action games than horror games. Sure. Now, so for the purposes of this episode, I asked you to play through the first three episodes of Doom. So Mm So as I stated, the shareware version of Doom was the first episode which was released. What they did is they they gave, they just gave it to retailers. They said, "Here, have this. Sell it for whatever you want." Because at the end of the episode was a, a phone number to buy the full version of Doom, you had to order it f- directly from id Software. Did you did you do this? No. When I got it, they eventually released a retail version called Ultimate Doom, which was released in 95, so 2 years after. Doom's initial release and that had an additional fourth episode called "Thy Flesh Consumed (laughs) um, which I did try to play a little bit of after I cleared the first three episodes and it's very hard right from the get go. Uh,
0: Yeah so that's included in the Switch right? Yes. I did try to I tried to play that one too and I was like no no this Mm -hmm. is not what I came here for.
1: Yeah it spikes Um, uh, and it's been years since I've played Doom 2 so I'm Curious to revisit that. Or do you have any interest in playing any of the other older Doom games? Or Yeah,
0: I mean, if this was five bucks on the Switch, and, and also that was a nice entryway point. The new one is $60, I yeah. believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe, maybe if you pick it up, I'll see if you like it. I'll play it a few levels, and then be sure. like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll play this. And again, this has nothing to do with quality. <laughs> this has to do with, you know, the type of games that I gravitate towards, the amount of time I like, I personally like putting into video games. Sure. I thought this was a great game that I could play for like an hour or so and put down, or even like half hour if I really wanted to. And mm-hmm. I like games like that a lot, um, where I can play in fits and starts. Um, in between the other things that I'm trying to consume, or or, or in between work and stuff. Yeah,
1: like that. and there's plenty of replay value too. There are the different difficulty levels, trying to clear levels faster, um, mm-hmm. trying to unlock all the secrets. If you know, if if you haven't played it at the end of each level, it tells you uh, how many guys you killed, how many secrets you found, how many items you found, and then tells you how long it took you to clear it and what the par for that level was? Do you get any?
0: Are there any bonuses if you like hit nope. the par? Because like there are some levels. I was like, oh, that took me twenty minutes, and the par was two minutes, right. and I was like, wait, that makes no sense. I think that assumes you know how to complete that level, and you go get those things you need, and then you get on. Yeah,
1: there. that par is just there to draw you back. Like, oh, it took me twenty minutes. I have to, I have to do it better next time. Yeah.
0: There's also like the first. It took me a good. I don't know, five or six levels before I got any secrets. <laughs> and I don't know why, for a while I was just like, why aren't I finding anything? And then eventually I got like 101 level and yeah. then I was doing okay. But those first few levels, I did not find a
1: single thing. hmm Now, when you die in this game, there's no ch- there's no auto checkpoints or auto save. So when you die, you go back to the beginning of the level you're in, you lose all keys, all armor, all weapons. Uh-huh. How were you playing? Like, how were you just playing and then you would save when you were done? Or how, 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 what was your approach? So, when I started the game, those first few levels,
0: it, when I get to the end of the level and I get to the next level, then I would save it. Uh, the thing with the switch is you could shut the game off mid level. And when you pick it back up, you'll, you're still in that same spot. So, I did that a few times.
1: Did that ever present a problem for you? Cause there was, a bug with the Switch version that if you, if I, you I, did do that, like a lot of times it would just freeze and you'd have to restart it. That did
0: happen later on. Yeah. Uh, in the later levels, in those first few levels, no, I never had that issue.
1: So you didn't save scum your way through it?
0: I did by the end, I would like save here and there because I, I just had acquired so much stuff. Mm-hmm. But when you start like, because there's three games, right? There's episodes. three games, episodes. Every episode you start, Clean slate mm-hmm. with nothing. Um, so after a while, once you'd build everything up, and and you know, I'd be like, oh, I might as well save it halfway through and stuff. There are points where, like, when I, if something became really difficult, then I'd be like, okay, I'm gonna. This level seems way harder. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna keep saving every sure. time I get through like these big sections and whatnot. And then every once in a while, I'd just forget to save, mm-hmm. and then I die. I'm like, oh fuck! I I I have to start all the way back. Um, and then usually when that happened, I'd be like, "All right, I'm putting it down." Yeah, good, good time to give myself. a Good break. time to walk away. Yeah. Um. So, um. So yeah, but when I did start those first few levels, I did without save. I would save like once I get to the new level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Which is probably dumb and probably why I didn't find any secrets. Sure.
1: <laughs> what cool.
0: about you? Is that how you play saving it?
1: Oh yeah, I'm a I I'm a save scummer for sure. Save. Where did that term come from? Uh, I, I know it's just like a term used in gamer culture for people who save early and often. Um, yeah. On the one hand, it's frowned upon. On the other hand, who gives a shit? I have <laughs> the option to save and I, I did the it's work. It's frowned upon to play like that? You know, it's sort of like. What's it matter to people? Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I am a proud save scummer. Okay. So, are you going to play Doom Eternal? Oh, Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Mhm. Wait, so you played the 2016 one? Yes. So what is that? Is that just like a modern version of the original or is that all new levels?
1: Uh no, it's it's a, a, an all new oh, okay. Campaign and everything. And so
0: does that look like Doom
1: Eternal? Yes. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yep, um incorporates some elements from Doom 2, um, some enemies in particular. So uh, maybe
0: if that's cheaper I'll get that before Eternal and then Yeah,
1: I think I think that's a good bet. Okay. Mhm.
0: All right. I'm sure it'll go on sale when the new one comes out.
1: I don't know. The Switch has that Nintendo tax.
0: Uh, yeah, that's yeah. true. Oh well, maybe I'll never play. <laughs> no, I, I really enjoyed it. It was cool. a lot of fun. I wasn't sure. Like again, like I wanted to like it because I know you were so excited to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, how does this fit in in your overarching video game story? Like, is this a big game in everything for you? Like if you were to look at your like those pivotal games for you, games that you played and 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 obsessed over and talked about with friends and played with friends and just it it took a while for a new game to take its place. Was this one of those?
1: Yeah, this was an obsession for a number of years. I think Um, maybe not an obsession, but it was it was something that was always in rotation. Um, I mean, I remember bringing a strategy guide to fifth grade camp, so I was reading about. I was reading – I was memorizing the maps and, and memorizing um, – Why would wh-
0: you need to memorize a map if you had
1: it printed out? mm <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> I was man. Because I was – because I didn't have the game in front of me. So I okay. was committing it all to memory. Or, um, you know, learning how many shots from which gun will take down a certain enemy. Uh-huh. That kind of thing. Um, yeah, this one I just have a lot of fond memories of. Um, it's not something like... Uh,
0: I have a lot of fond memories of murdering monsters. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
1: Um, you know, and was also... the
0: violence of this game appealing to you at your age?
1: Oh yeah, I thought it was hilarious.
0: Yeah, Because
1: this came out a year after Mortal Kombat. Well, that's the thing, is I felt like I was getting away with something, because Mortal Kombat was so... was really at the forefront of that conversation about video game violence. Mm-hmm. But that was an arcade and a console game, so there was a different type of accessibility to it. You know, arcades were still, or arcade machines were still very common in a lot of places. Um, a lot of households had a Nintendo or a Sega Genesis, uh, but computers weren't in everybody's house yet. So, you know, if they were, then absolutely Doom would have been making more of a, a dust up among parents. I mean, it definitely earned quite a bit of controversy. Um, But my parents, it was a very strict, like, you're not allowed to play Mortal Kombat. We're not going to rent that. You're not going to have that game here. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, Oh, Mike was playing this game Doom. It's really fun, but it's on the computer. Can I get that? And they're like, oh, yeah, sure. (laughs) I've never heard of that. And we'll trust that you're telling us it's something you're allowed to play. And then I get it. And it's not. But they're like, well, it's here now. So were they aware of how violent it was? Oh, yeah. I did. There was one, one time where I walked by my dad's office and I heard... Rockets and monster moaning, and I looked in, and he was shooting guys. So you tried it out.
0: So how did you control it on the computer? Were the arrows your way to move around, and like the space bar or something? Was uh, yeah, like
1: keyboard. The- I think I actually had a game pad. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, at this point, it was so simple that you didn't need much. So a simple yeah. game pad works. Uh, but yeah, arrow keys, mouse. The mouse was a pain because you'd want to. You could use that to move, but you'd have to like keep. Rolling uh, ooh, the trackball on it, yeah. It's not. So,
0: were the numbers your numerical pad on the on the keyboard? Would that switch
1: your weapons?
0: Uh, yeah. So, because it looks like that on the game, there's mm-hmm. the numbers.
1: Yeah, one is your fist or the chainsaw. Two yeah. is a pistol. Three is a shotgun. Four is the chain gun. Five is the rocket launcher. Six is the plasma rifle, and seven is the BFG. hmm Right on. Yep. <laughs> so. Fucking Doom. Fucking Doom. But yeah, no, uh, this maybe wasn't as like, mind-blowing as something like um, Metal Gear or um, Parasite Eve was a PlayStation game that I was obsessed oh, with. I never played that. Um, but, I think uh, the
0: only real first-person shooter game that I played um, that I was sort of obsessed with was Goldeneye, which sure. is another big game. And mm-hmm. we would have like, you know, Friends would come over after school, et cetera, et cetera, and we'd all get together and we'd play GoldenEye. We'd, you could, because you could play four at a time. Yep. Um, and so we'd have little tournaments and all that. And obviously, whoever had the Golden Gun would win because that gun is like cheating and, yeah, it became difficult. But we would play that for hours and hours. I'd have friends over and, um, we would play GoldenEye and we'd watch Evil Dead 2 or Army of Darkness and just eat pizza. And like, that was like, um, like a whole year, it seems. Yeah. Of just doing that over and over again.
1: Yeah, there is um, the, the family in my neighborhood who had an N64. Um, yeah, we would all go over to their house immediately after school to play Goldeneye. And I think it got to the point where we all just would chip in a little bit of our allowance to help with the late fee because we just weren't bringing it back to the video store. <laughs> just held on to it. I mean, it, they should have just bought their own copy. Yeah. Lord knows we... Gave Blockbuster more than $60. (laughs) Um, Yeah, uh, Goldeneye was a ton of fun. I never got to play the original Doom, like, doing deathmatch stuff online just because my family didn't have uh, internet for a while. And then I wasn't really playing Doom by the time we got internet regularly. Uh, But in fifth grade, there's a social studies teacher who had networked a bunch of computers together for, uh, you know, an educational game that he had for... Part of his lesson plan, but there was one morning where he grabbed um, four four guys who were in my grade, and he's like, "Don't tell anyone, but I got to test my network, and I got Doom on it to see if it works. So, who wants to come and do a quick death match before school starts?" And like became legendary. <laughs> so wait, so the death match you
0: go? Are there monsters involved as in addition to fighting? I think it's player versus player.
1: Okay, yeah, you can play the campaign with other people too, but. Oh, so you're kind of going through together? Uh, I mean, the point of deathmatch is just to go in a map and then just blast each other.
0: Yeah. Fun, mm mm-hmm. um, So, as a Doom fan, what, you know,
1: what would you recommend um,
0: as to the next step? Or a side step?
1: So, I'm gonna recommend uh, a book called Masters of Doom by David Kushner. Oh, uh, that name's really familiar. So this uh, this book chronicles the origins of id software, uh, the creation of Wolfenstein and Doom, and sort of the arc of John Carmack and John Romero's careers and their personalities and and sort of how they, through Doom, uh, kind of shaped the direction of PC gaming. Um, I've listened to it a couple of times on audiobook. Will Wheaton narrates it. It's a lot of fun. Um... And it's fascinating because it does get into a lot of the technical stuff without getting too in the weeds. You know, really kind of breaking down things that we take for granted now in 2020, but were revolutionary um, in terms of the way computers could um, generate graphics at the time, uh, things like lighting. um, Yeah, all of these things that you don't think about that, kept all of id Software's games, um, you know, one after another being this next evolutionary step forward. Um, and it's fascinating. And, you know, the Johns are referred to as like the, uh, the Lennon and McCartney of video games. Um, it's, it's, it's a great read. Um, in terms of uh, another game, I'm going to recommend Half-Life. So Half-Life came out in 99, 98 or 99. Was uh, that a console game? Uh, I think at some point they ported them to consoles, maybe. Uh, maybe Half-Life 2? I can't remember. Oh, uh, Half-Life 2 certainly was ported to Xbox 360, but the original Half-Life was a PC game. First-person shooter. Um, unlike Doom, it, it is an open, interconnected world. Uh, I mean, it's linear. You're only allowed to progress so much depending on the – The mandates of the story but there is a story it's very uh, immersive and interactive um, and interested in telling a narrative so if Doom you know sort of is the the starting point that really cemented the first person shooter genre as a thing uh, Half-Life was really kind of the next the next big step it combined all the parts, all the technology, um, and brought it together in a way that told told a story in a way that these games typically didn't. There were a lot of, um, you know, run and gun. The story was there just as an excuse to be fighting monsters or be fighting Nazis or to be fighting uh, gangsters or you know, a medieval fantasy setting. Um, Half-Life took the narrative seriously and and used it to to make the world feel bigger. Uh, what about you? What um, Do you have any recommendations based off of this?
0: Okay, I can't help myself. Uh-huh. You could roll your eyes as much as you want. Oh, I love it. But I'm gonna recommend In the Mouth of Madness by John Carpenter. Okay. Late period John Carpenter, still uh, one of his best movies, kind of underrated, uh, but it's also like this kind of cross-section between H.P. Lovecraft uh, and what Carpenter does best, but it has these great gnarly monsters. And a lot of it kind of reminded me of what I saw in this game. Um, there's this great scene where, um, Sam Neill is running down this corner and there's this giant Lovecraft esque monster. That's kind of like coming after him and just visually, I just felt like he understood why those books were so scary. And he was able to translate that. And this is sort of about this character that is like, um, Stephen King S author who is, you know, has these acolytes and, 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 and where people believe the end of the world is coming and that he's predicting it. Uh, and Sam Neill as this, plays this guy that, uh, investigates frauds and, and he's like a debunker essentially. And he's kind of Goes after this. This goes to find this author and 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 makes sense of all this stuff. And obviously, the, it's called in the mouth of madness. So cool. things don't go so well for him. It's pretty great. I don't know if
1: you've ever seen that one. I don't think I have actually. Yeah. I, I know I've tried to watch it a couple of times, and I think it's something I would stumble upon kind of late at night, and then just it would be too late to get through it. Um, speaking of John Carpenter, I bet he loves Doom. He's a big gamer. Big gamer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's all he really cares about now. <laughs> At this point, yeah, if he can just keep making music with his son and playing Destiny 2, I think he'd be all set. I
0: know he's producing the Halloween sequels and doing the music for him, so I think that's keeping him happy. Because mm-hmm. anytime anyone's just like, oh, what, are you gonna make an, another movie? And he's just like, why would I do that? Yeah. It's just so much work, uh, it's a hassle. Um, I don't like working with anyone anymore. Um, I when I could, do that when I can just stay home and play video games. And you, know, you could remake whatever and just pay me. <laughs> Perfect. I love how
1: refreshingly candid it is, Mm -hmm. his candor. It's so great. (laughs) Uh, What are we talking about next time? Next time, we're going to be talking about uh, a comic from Image Comics called Bitch Planet.
0: Oh, right on. Yeah. Uh, Are you familiar with Bitch Planet at all? I am not. I have heard of it before. Uh, It is written by Kelly Sue DeConnick, and she um, is recently responsible for the version of Captain Marvel that – was brought into the MCU recently. So that cap the movie Captain Marvel is kind of uh based on her version based off of yeah. What she brought to the character. Cool. Yeah. So um it's sort of this um feminist take on women in prison and dystopia uh, movies. So uh I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too.
1: Alrighty. See you I- then. See ya. Thank you for listening to What Did We Miss? If you want to catch up on previous episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, Stitcher Premium, and Google Play. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at What Did We Miss? And thanks, as always, to What Your Writers Club in downtown Providence. where We record our episodes. If you want to learn more about them, you can follow them on Twitter and Instagram at What's Your Club and visit their website at whatcheerclub.org.